0: really being financially healthy, especially on an emotional level, is having this experience of safety and freedom now and later. And ultimately being able to live a life of funded contentment, which is a life that's meaningful to you on your terms. Not what the world tells you is successful, but what you want. What gives you peace of mind? What allows you to sleep soundly at night?
1: Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I am excited you are here with me for another fascinating episode. For all the new listeners, welcome. And for the returning listeners, welcome back. I am glad you are here to hear my conversation with Dr. Joy Leary. She's a leading expert in the psychology of money. She's also a clinical and licensed psychologist and the co-founder of Shaping Wealth. We've had Brian on the podcast who is another co-founder of shaping wealth so i'm delighted to have joy with us today dr leary has held research and clinical positions at penn medicine princeton health children's national medical center and the department of defense and has served as an assistant clinical professor in the clinical psychology at george washington university you will hear during our conversation just how passionate joy is helping people become more self-aware, cultivating the sense of self-awareness when it comes to the relationship with money and life in general. I appreciated Joy's way of being during this conversation as we could really feel her authenticity and ability to discuss complex human relationship with money into understandable and relatable ways. We talked about the importance of using money stories as they help us emotionally connect to ourselves and others stories help us experience and engage with the learning held within the stories so as joy mentioned it's really important to embrace these stories we talked about the concept of financial well-being and what does it really look like you'll notice joy really talks a lot about self-awareness and how it is one of the keys in understanding more about ourselves and our money stories And how it's within self awareness that we can start to move from being to becoming. I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I encourage you to look at the great work Dr. Leary is doing, both in her clinical practice and with shaping wealth. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Dr. Leary. Joy, welcome to the show.
0: It's wonderful to be here with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to speak with you today. Before we were recording, I had mentioned that I've been following your work online through your other podcasts. Although I did read You Don't Like Podcasts. but uh, Where did you read that? That I, is no. false
0: information. <laughs> I'm glad we are making this clear.
1: <laughs> no, sorry. I, I should say that. Oh, no, you don't like podcasts at normal speed, two-speed. Sorry, I was reading there your you beyond. Yeah. I'm impressed.
0: I like them so much. I'm a consumer of yeah. at high quantity of information.
1: I wasn't going to talk about that. I pulled that distorted fact out of the wrong part of my brain. And <laughs> it was actually the opposite of what you like. You like them so much. Sorry.
0: I'm an auditory learner. <laughs> I take it all in.
1: Well, we're off to a good start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been following you online and we'll recover from here. So actually, let's start with this <laughs> on that, that, that section that I was reading that you love podcasts that you like them so much. I think it said, I don't like them on normal speed and my brain grabbed that. Sorry, you like them on double speed, but in that little bio, something else piqued my interest that I wasn't planning to talk about, but we will now on this podcast. People have come to, to meet my music collaborator. His name is Root Hub. And we've written an album together, or My Money Story. We've written a few other songs for guests. But in the, that little section about you, I understand that you really liked, or you like Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So let's start with this. Because I think music is so interesting. It can bring us to a different place in time. It can help even facilitate change. There's really neat attributes associated with music.
0: Absolutely. Music, music is art. And actually... You know, sometimes people ask me about my professional trajectory. And the very first thing, I've never shared this on an interview, so this is exclusive for you. The very first thing I ever wanted to be was a professional violinist. I was probably like three years old. I never played violin ever in my life. I went on to play piano and flute and oboe, and I love singing, but never the violin. But I've always been a lover of music. You know, I think art is so powerful in so many ways. Art is a vehicle for story. There's a way that art allows us to express very deep, powerful things that are nonverbal in our brains and kind of lodge deep in our bodies sometimes. So I think there's a way that that People can use music if you are a composer to write and communicate and get a really important message out. I also think as individuals in my clinical practice, the way we can use our senses kind of to ground us and to cope with the stresses we have. There's something so powerful when we can like mindfully listen to something where we aren't like thinking about We don't have all the noise from regret or things we're replaying in the past. We aren't anxiously forecasting the future. We're just right here and we're focused on what do I hear in this moment? And music is so emotional. I think there's a powerful way that music can match where we are emotionally. And sometimes music can help us transition to a different place as well.
1: Wow, I love that. I didn't know that you had so much admiration towards music. I, I'm i just thinking that it would have been nice to have... I'm going to get a song made based on this conversation. So what we have done before is like my music collaborator will sit in and he can instantly make a song by what we talked about at the end of the recording. Very cool. But he's, he's out in Burning Man right now setting it up. So he's not available. Nice. So that's really, really fascinating. When we look at our financial lives, I feel like often we are... As you mentioned, we have these regrets of the past. You didn't mention financial-wise, but you talked about music pulls us from that. Mm -hmm. But we also have this anxiety or stress about the future. And from what I'm hearing you discuss, art, in this case music, can really help ground us, kind of bring us to the present moment. What is it about our minds that loves to either go in the regrets or the anxiety of the pending future?
0: I think when our mind is kind of spinning and reeling, sometimes it is because that has become a familiar place, a well-worn groove. You know, when we think about anxiety and forecasting ahead, I think sometimes kind of replaying, thinking about contingencies, uh, what if this happens, what if this happens, that can give us an illusion of control if I'm stressed out more, maybe that will prepare me more for the future. And I think sometimes people can develop um, an anxiety response based on previous pain. So then their brain is primed to pick up on something that has been a problem in the past, and it revs their thinking and even our bodies, because anxiety is a very physiologic, it's a Tricky piece, because it's very physiological, it's cognitive, and it's very emotional. So it can rub us up as though an old threat is happening right now, even though there was just traces of something familiar. And and in some cases, we all need anxiety. In certain cases, it keeps us alive. But if our brain is misfiring and misreading what's going on, It can be debilitating, it can be exhausting, and it can really detract from the quality of people's lives. You know, looking back, and I think especially when we are talking about money, what we need to do is normalize that the human experience of money is an incredibly complex thing. Often there is, in some cases, not enough information or education. I think most people are doing the best they can with what they have at any given time. So there's kind of been a widespread failure of education, but also for some people, we know the right thing to do. It can be a failure of imagination. Okay, what do I need to do with that? And sometimes that comes from just a lack of support. But I can tell you a lot of people experience either anxiety or shame about their financial lives, different chapters or aspects of their own financial story. But when we have enough context, especially if someone is sharing what has happened to them or what their struggles are, I think when we have enough context, we can come to understand that usually and this is true of our money lives and it's true of how we function and and how we move through the world generally. Usually the behaviors, especially when they're very patterned, that we choose and rely on at some point, in some situations, we're adaptive because we as humans, on some level, we're all just trying to survive. And when it comes to money, we are living in a world that is set up to make that very, very difficult and the biology of our brains work
1: against us. Thank you. You you have opened up many different doors we can go down. I think that was a very insightful answer. And I, I kind of want to pick on the patterns, not pick on, focus on the patterns. I would assume as a clinical psychologist with your patients, you see these reoccurring patterns that mm-hmm. perhaps the patient might not recognize themselves that I would you assume got- are rooted in, like you said, the emotions and the cognitive parts of their thinking from these adaptive manners that they feel are keeping them safe. while I was looking at your website and some of your reading, I really saw that you promote cultivating more self-awareness, yes, so as we start to deal or maybe start to peek in at these uh, these patterns, what role does self-awareness play in helping us manage this level of anxiety in around our conversation with our financial lives?
0: I think self-awareness is the key to success in life, and so so many areas. People come to me for when they are initially seeking therapy, not because they don't know the right thing to do. I work with highly intelligent people. It's because they're stuck. It's because knowing all the rational right things is not enough. So it's important for us to kind of step back and look at, okay, what is getting in the way of you doing what you know you quote should do. Sidebar, I don't like the word should because I think that can lead to a lot of shame for people. So what they want to do or what would be in their best interest. So we have to look at, okay, what gets in the way? And some of that is old patterns. Again, ways that our well-worn grooves in our brain about this is what I do in this situation with this kind of person. And then we just kind of carry them forward and, and use them broadly in our lives in ways that don't necessarily serve us. And we interact and do things that, like I said previously, this worked then, but it doesn't fit your context now. It's not what you need now. What you needed then is actually holding you back today.
1: It occurs to me as we cultivate more self-awareness and, and we're looking at our financial lives right now, we can start to recognize these patterns. But I would assume it doesn't, like many things in life, it's not linear, but it's not like, oh, I recognize these patterns, boom, it's fixed, it's ready to go. I get the feeling that as we become more self-aware of these patterns, these adaptive behaviors that we've had, we might even start to feel more anxiety or stress as we work through those like realizations that, oh, wow, it's me, it's not my spouse, or it's me, it's not my employer. Is there truth to that?
0: There is truth to that. The journey to personal growth and really reaching the next level in your life, it is not a comfortable one. We all work very hard to avoid uncomfortable truths. There are things we struggle to certainly be honest with the outside world about, about ourselves that we really like to keep hidden. But there are things we don't wanna look at for ourselves because it's painful. It requires taking responsibility and ownership. And sometimes it's a lot easy to point the finger at someone else. The power and importance of self-awareness, especially with people's money lives, I think it starts with story. We all have a money story. And often that story starts earlier than most people think. You know, I love asking people, what's your earliest memory of money? And it's very telling. Even the themes that come out in that first story, sometimes there are narrative threads that weave through someone's life because there was something very emotionally evocative about that, that it's stuck in their brain but there's something really important about looking at our own money story. Where have I come from? What have been the sources and influences that have shaped my attitudes, my beliefs, my habits? And let me look it rather than living and just adopting things and living an unexamined life, let me stop and pause and ask, How are these things working for me? And the bits that aren't working for you, then you want to step back and ask, okay, what do I need to do differently? What do I want to do differently? And what is the support I need to start to make those shifts? Because here's the thing. People need to take authorship and exercise agency in their financial lives to ultimately be on a path toward financial well-being.
1: I really appreciate that. All of that, the last point about taking authorship to strive towards that path of financial well-being.
0: For some people, that is exciting. There's an element of hope in that. Mm -hmm. And what can live alongside of that, two things can always be true.
1: Really? Two things? I thought it was one or none.
0: (laughs) You and lots of people. <laughs> yeah, Taking responsibility can also be very frightening for people, which is why many people just step back and they're passive. They are quick to pass blame. And they just say, they let life happen to them. Rather than saying, no, I'm going to choose to create the life that I want. And I'm going to pursue that. And they know that's going to be uncomfortable and require work. But I get to choose. And this is the story I want to write. It doesn't matter what generations, the stories of generations past, because until there's intention with taking authorship, often what happens is generational stories and patterns gets repeated. That happens financially. That happens in lots of aspects of our lives. So everybody needs to have that watershed moment of saying, no, what do I want my story to be? And what am I doing to write that today? Because we are creating the life we will have tomorrow through the decisions and choices we're making today.
1: Oh, yeah. And you could see how this stems from the curiosity to cultivate that self-awareness. And it really sounds like it's building this level of agency, which gives you the confidence to write that story. Yeah. So when we talk about this struggle, I want to go back to the struggle. Joseph Campbell talks about the hero's journey as we where we are and we go through struggle and we emerge with new insight. I never want to generalize that there's one truth for everyone. But would you say as we navigate our money stories, most of us will experience some level of of struggle in navigating the past to figure out the future to or to figure out the present than to write the the future story?
0: Absolutely. You know, our money stories are not this straight line up and to the right of this is success. There are arcs, you know, we will face various chapters or various challenges at different chapters in our lives as we evolve and grow and learn about ourselves and move through the world. And I really believe that money, is not something that is easy for anyone. So I think it is important that we really recognize and appreciate the way we are influenced by factors around us that are going to make it challenging.
1: It really reminds me of the Carl Jung quote, something to the degree until you make the unconscious conscious will continue to direct your life, you will call it fate. Yes. In this idea of self-awareness and then encountering struggle, but within the struggle, we start to cultivate more agency and get to know ourselves better. I feel like it's also touching on another topic that I read on your website is resilience. What role does cultivating resilience play as we continue? Because as you mentioned, we evolve our money story. I don't think we ever have evolved. What role, if any at all, does resilience play in helping us navigate the many, many storms that we're going to have in our money story throughout our lifetime?
0: Resilience is crucial. And resilience, it is a mindset and it's a practice. So, resilience isn't just about surviving something that's difficult, it is about being, becoming stronger. Mm-hmm as a result of the challenges that we faced. It is using pain to create purpose in our lives. It's using what we have experienced as a teacher for what we want to be intentional about doing differently.
1: Being and becoming and using pain to create purpose really spoke to me. With your clients or with your knowledge in and around how the brain works and with our emotions that attach to money. What have you observed through your clients that are examples of how people have used some sort of pain to find purpose within the context of a money story?
0: I see this a lot. You know, there are different story arcs that all stories that we consume take. But I think a very common one can be a story of rags to riches. I think for some people, early experiences of scarcity or even sometimes some kind of financial trauma, they decide this stops here. This stops with me. I'm going to make sure that later in my life, I'm not experiencing that kind of want or financial uncertainty. So I'm going to organize my life. I'm going to make choices about various dimensions of my money life, how I'm spending, how I'm saving, how I'm investing to position myself in a much stronger financial place. And I think sometimes when people have had those people experiences in childhood and they go on to be parents, they are very motivated to make sure that their child has a very different experience than they did.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating as we uncover our past stories, how we can, to use your words, I really like that, use the pain to create purpose. This is making me think where I know you've talked about financial well-being. And before I throw it back over to you, financial well-being has been a concept that has been talked about a lot as of late. I know at times it's been talked about there lacks a clear definition or understanding what financial well-being is. Sometimes when I've seen it, it's in around the ability to absorb a financial shock, to have the money to pay day-to-day expenses, to save for the future. I feel like sometimes I, when I read these definitions, they lack what we've been talking about, the emotional connection to financial well-being. Based on your experience, what link if any or connection do you see what we've been talking about self-awareness emotional intelligence have on embodying this idea of financial well-being
0: when i think of financial well-being and the work i do at shaping wealth we teach people that really being financially healthy especially on an emotional level is having this experience of safety and freedom now and later. And ultimately, being able to live a life of funded contentment, which is a life that's meaningful to you on your terms, not what the world tells you is successful, but what you want. What gives you peace of mind? What allows you to sleep soundly at night?
1: I really enjoy hearing that safety and freedom. Can you just touch on what safety really means in that context for people who, we understand safety, but what is really underneath that word choice that you picked?
0: Well, safety, we're looking at our ability to absorb a financial shock. We can pay the bills, we can take care of known expenses. And we also know that we have made choices and decisions and there is enough of a buffer that we've planned for the unforeseen. Because emergencies unforeseen in our life, it's not a matter of if, but when something is going to financially sideswipe you. So it's Mm. not only I'm just getting by, but I have a margin that's that allow that affords me that that sense of safety.
1: You know, as as you're talking about safety, too, I feel like this conversation around self-awareness on our money story, what is the the root of our financial anxiety? As we come to uncover these things, I I feel like there would be a level of safety as well like in the mind that like, ah, I'm not going to be broke like my family was or something or mm-hmm. money's not going to destroy my family. And I just feel like that that level of like finding peace from within really could help like, create that psychological safety that allows us then to just be, as you said, being here.
0: And I think that taps into a much deeper, much more complex discussion about what is enough. You know, is that a number? Who decides what's enough? How do you decide that? When? And I I think one of the things that really gets in the way of someone pursuing or experiencing a sense of safety is the moving goalpost of enough. Now, there isn't the simple, simplistic answer of, well, just choose your enough and be satisfied with what you have because there's this tension in our lives. We do want to be growing and striving. There are great things that happen in this world because people aren't satisfied with the status quo. But again, back to two things. If we can't celebrate wins along the way, if we don't understand how to savor, if we're telling ourselves, I always need more and more and more, I will be happy when, then we're creating a world of hurt.
1: Yeah, you'd have to wonder if we can't be happy now and what adaptive measures are causing us to create, create, create.
0: Yes. Joy and happiness is an inside job. Wherever you go, there you are. Who you are today is who you will likely be with more money, maybe just amplified in some way. We overweight and miscalculate how external factors are going to change how we feel about things.
1: Oh, this is why I love what you guys are doing at Shaping Wealth. This idea of funded contentment, because to your point, we overweight those external things. Tell, we've all heard stories that someone's sailing to a certain island and they arrive there, and it was they spent a lifetime doing that. And they realized yeah. it was the wrong island
0: i sit and work with so many people who are at the top of their careers who have bank accounts that have more money than they will ever be able to spend and they are deeply unhappy and there's this broken expectation of well i thought once i got here it would feel different this is not how this was supposed to how how this was supposed to play out so now what
1: and I think it's so interesting because like we, we at times avoid the discomfort that we talked about, the financial anxiety. Cause that's scary. I don't want to, I don't want to go there. But yet as we've been talking about, it's through that wrestling and leaning into that discomfort that we learn so much about ourselves, about what is funded contentment for ourselves. This week I was talking to Ken Honda. He's the author of Happy Money mm. and he talked about the billionaires that he's interviewed or talked to. He could tell which ones have happy money or not, he calls it. And he said a lot of the ones that do have been bankrupt or had severe setbacks three or four times in their lives. And it's, I guess, this idea that it cultivates this resilience. I, I read a piece that you wrote about, and and this is just about struggle. You, you wrote a piece about your husband's friend who unfortunately passed on Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. You wrote this. Basically, like I was reading this story and... I was feeling all sorts of emotions. And then at some point, you said that, like, basically, it's been a good teacher. You've learned a lot of lessons throughout this whole experience. And I was just like, wow, this is resilience and like this idea of post-traumatic growth at its finest. So what have you experienced, I guess, on a personal level of these struggles and how they can help us define what this idea of funded contentment or what enough is for ourselves?
0: Absolutely. You know, you referenced that story. So con- a little bit of background and context. My husband is in the military and one of the years he was serving in Afghanistan, a close friend of him of his was killed. There are, and his wife is actually serving with them. They are our age. He accompanied his friend Dave's body and his wife back to the U.S., from Afghanistan for the funeral and then headed back to Kabul. That was a real before and after. I think all of our lives are marked with these experiences of before and after. And that was a distinct one for us. Military service, it, it's a family gig. It's not just the service member. So it was about why are we, we had to really look at why are we staying? And it's not about the money. It's it's about really purpose. And then my husband saying, okay, how, how do I make that count? How do I make tragedy count? How do I now train people? How do I share that story? Dave's death, so that the fact that he has what looks to us like an unlived life, their story was cut, felt like it was cut short. We've been given this opportunity. We didn't have kids, son. Since then, my husband has progressed in his career. We've had twins and it's this complex nexus of like survivor's guilt and all kinds of things. But when you go through something like that, especially when when I've seen the juxtaposition of just the privilege I have and the opportunity I've been given. My husband and I talk like, these are our bonus rounds. These are our bonus rounds as as a family, as a couple, we need to make them count. Another piece I wrote, you know, in terms of, you know, things we've been through in our lives is a very long, colorful story that, that I will cut short. Do I had a lot of complications in my pregnancy and my kids were delivered by an emergency C-section after I'd been in the hospital for a prolonged period of time. And I I hemorrhaged and lost a lot of blood and they didn't think I was actually going to live live through the night. So like my husband sat in a NICU with two three-pound babies, like thinking, where am I going to bury my wife? It've been experiences like that that have caused me to step back and be like, it's a huge reminder, none of us are promised tomorrow. We have no idea what's going to sideswipe us. So we need to live with real purpose and intention. And, you know, when we have plot twists in our stories, we have a choice about how we are going to think about them. Are we going to say, poor me, or are we going to frame it as an opportunity to do something with that? Again, it goes back to forging purpose. And I think for all of us, when it comes to well-being, the healthiest people in the world are people that have purpose. It doesn't, they aren't necessarily the people who have the most money or have things easy. They're striving, they're working, they're connected, they have healthy relationships, and they feel deep in their soul that they are contributing. And I tell people, I have the best job in the world. I get to sit behind closed doors every day and have conversations with people that they are not having with anyone else in their life. That's a sacred privilege. I get to watch two babies grow up. I was not supposed to, not supposed to get to do that. I'm talking about being, becoming. I get to watch who my husband becomes. I get to have bonus holidays with my parents. That for me is living with intention and living with gratitude.
1: Thank you for sharing. The tone of your voice as you talked was very real. And I, I asked that question because as I read your stories, I couldn't help relate to my own story and your reframe on what you just said there finding a purpose, using this pain to find purpose, I think is something that the listeners, because we all have our own version of your story. And the way you frame it is bonus time. And we have the choice to see it that way.
0: Well, I explain to people, you know, that tone, who I am one place is who I am at every place. That that authenticity and consistency is really important to me. So I, I don't have time or energy for pretending. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, what just happened there is is the power of like relating to people on a human level. And I think it's something that people crave. And this is the power of story too. No one has, and no one has to have an identical lived experience to me to have a sense of connection, to have that understanding and realization, wait, I'm not alone And being a car-carrying member of the human race and knowing that life is hard. So you didn't have to lose someone in the way that my, that my husband did to understand grief, to understand guilt. No woman has to have had my birth experience to know what it's like to have fear, to experience pain and frustration and impatience and confusion in a sense of why me? Why is this happening? I don't understand. You know, those things that can really be on mooring for us. We need to be curious about one another's stories because everyone you meet is living a story you know nothing about. And I think when we can hold that in mind, we will engage with people with much more empathy.
1: Thank you once again. I'm glad we're recording this conversation because what you're saying just rings so true to me and I know the listeners as well, and the, what you just said there, I think, is so key in my my view, my story, I guess, to this idea of my version of funded contentment or financial well being is like reconciling these fears that you talked about. If you're scared or or fear in and of itself, is that these sit underneath our money stories, and we can budget any and every checkbook or investment statement, but if we don't have a curiosity. to to dive in, to see what that fear stems from, then, you know, we might be repeating the same old story.
0: Absolutely. Our emotions are always going to live adjacent to kind of the narrative of our money story. Money is an emotional lightning rod. It can't not be. So I think it's really important for us to just appreciate and recognize that, and have self-compassion because Mm. it's hard.
1: It is. I found that, that statement. So in, just for the listeners in the article that you had wrote on Memorial Day, after you told the story, you said in your experience, recounting the, your experience in the military, you said it's been a trip. Mostly it's amazing, hard, but so good in many ways. It's crystallized the power of living for and giving to something bigger than yourself. That part really spoke to me. So my final question is, let's imagine that you're at the end of life now you want to call it your bonus time has now peacefully come to an end and you're sitting on a front porch looking out at a place that brings you total ease contentment and peace and you decide to bring out a notebook and write a letter to your children's children on what you learned on how to cultivate a happy and healthy relationship with money what would be a key theme to that letter give give
0: yes give I think the more we can look outside of ourselves, that's there's no gift like that. Stewardship is really important to me. And we are stewards of lots of things. We are stewards of our money. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of our talent. We're stewards of our opportunities. So I would say give. Don't give yourself completely away but steward everything you have been given very well.
1: Thank you for that. I really appreciate that answer.
0: And I would be writing that, looking out at a lake in the Swiss Alps.
1: <laughs> in the Swiss Alps? Okay, yes.
0: <laughs> if I was going to a Zen happy place, that is it.
1: What season in Swiss- Switzerland? What season? Summer. Summer. Summer in okay. Switzerland. I wasn't sure if I was picturing the nice summertime or a cozy little front porch with snow, but...
0: Nice summertime right in front of a lake.
1: Well, Joy, it has been an absolute pleasure. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. For people listening who would like to find out more about what you're up to, where would you point them to online?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you've mentioned a few of my writing pieces. I'm at Substack, Joy Leary. My name, dot esubstackcom You can check out all the exciting things that my co-founders and I are doing at Shaping Wealth, at shapingwealth.com. We do a lot of work with advisors in the wealth management industry. Also, my private practice website is just my name, joyleary.com. and I also hang out a little bit on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at Joy Larry in my degree, which is P S Y D. Same for LinkedIn.
1: I will link to all those in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Most Hated F word podcast. If you're still listening, perhaps that's a sign that you enjoyed the conversation. If that's the case, you can support the show in two ways. The first is to share this episode with a friend, family, or colleague. The second is if you can head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave a review. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Until next week, have yourself a good one. I'm on a mountain without a top. My wealth is
0: measured and now I spend my time.
1: But now I write story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the win in the safe.